Amen. Good morning, everyone. It is a privilege for me to be once again with you, uh, dear beloved saints at uh, Theta in Tennessee. I, I am very thankful once again for all that you guys did, making us feel welcome. Uh, even you know, coming last night after long travel, uh, all the way from Washington D.C. by car and. We are so glad to be here. We will be here for the remaining of this coming week, actually, all the way to uh, Friday morning, which means if you, any time, any moment, any hour, would like to get us together, get to know each other, or spend some time together, please be free to reach out to me. If you don't have my contact, you can ask to Rick, but uh, we are here. Uh, to spend time together, to get to know each other. And this morning we go now to God's word once again. Let us uh, bow our heads, asking for the Lord to bless this time of reflection on the word of God. Oh God, holy God, three times holy God, we come to you as we declared your praises this morning. We also come, Lord with a heart, Lord, that ask, Lord, for showers of blessings to fall upon us this morning as we come and meditate upon your word, that, Lord, you will move our hearts toward you, that your spirit will enlighten our eyes to see marvelous things from your word, that you will take away any distractions that we might have this morning, any uh, thoughts or heart postures, Lord, that you will incline our ears to hear from you, Lord, that we come with a heart, Lord, that is willing and wanting to hear from you this morning. Open our eyes to hear from you and change our hearts, Lord, that we come out of this building, Lord, into a different week, Lord, transformed in heart and life that you will, Lord, speak to the issues of our lives and help us to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If you have your copy of God's word, I would ask you now to open uh, God's word to the New Testament letter of the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonians. The first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians is at the end of your New Testament between Colossians and Timothy's. First Thessalonians, the chapter for us to, I wanted us to meditate this morning on the theme of sanctification, of holiness, of what does it mean to live a life pleasing to God. And so I would ask you to turn to the chapter four of the first letter of the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 8 will be the words of our text. Let us listen to God's word for us this morning. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 8. Hear now the word of God. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are already doing, that you do so more and more. For you know that what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. 
that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Thus far the reading of God's holy, infallible world. May God bless now the meditation of God's words. Friends, we all have blind spots. We do hold blind spots in life. We are familiar to this concept of blind spots, but uh, in, in common problems as we are used to something and by the use, getting used to that something, we kind of become unaware of certain blind spots in our life. And that can be true even in our Christian life. I was reading an article by uh, John Piper, the well-known preacher, John Piper. Uh, and he speaks in this article of a problem, of a blind spot, that sometimes even as we want to be faithful to God, uh, that we might have some blind spot in the way in which we even deal with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that good news that we just sang in these words of these hymns, that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, die the perfect death on the cross, and that He overcame death through His resurrection, declaring victory from all His enemies. And the fact that we are to receive this message that we are to believe this message. But the blind spot that can sometimes come, sadly, is that this, this message stops halfway, like a truncated message, where we present, sadly, we present the benefits of Jesus Christ and the benefit of a grace that we can get through Jesus Christ. But then we live completely silence. All that follows from that, which is a walk of holiness and a new life. That when this is true, that the gospel is received truly, first of all, it means that we receive it. And we receive it not mentally, we receive it with heart. We receive it as, as something that transforms radically our lives, our priorities, and the way that now we live the rest of our life. And that is the blind spot that I want, to see, want you to see here. There's another preacher, David Strain, who says that the problem of the church today, it seems that it seems many churches are allergic to deal with matters of obedience. Even this morning we read from 1 John, the outworking of obedience in the person that is truly saved, right? You might be familiar with the ancient problem, sadly, of you know, getting an altar call or getting to make a decision for Christ, right? But it's not followed by a life that testifies to the truth of that act. And that is the uh, allergy that in the churches today. There is a way in which we can preach the gospel. We can preach grace in the context of sanctification, holiness that we are dealing with today. 
that stripped the, the word of God from his power. That is meant to lead us to obedience. To a life that when we, when we are face to face with this holy God. That indeed saves us. Graciously. He gives us all his benefits in Christ. But then we reduce it into cheap grace. We neutralize all that follows all the commands of the Bible. In fact, that any hints that if you, that if you go and talk, talk to certain people, you, 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 you give some hints into obedience. They're like, oh, this is self-righteousness. This is something that I don't need. I am saved. I got my ticket to heaven. I'm okay to go. But their lives, it doesn't match their beliefs. And so the gospel becomes almost a pill that we, we drink and swallow to actually ease our conscience from those issues of sins that we are called indeed by grace, but we also have a responsibility to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And so our text today calls us to a pursuit of holiness. If we could look at this text that we read this morning, we could summarize it as a pursuit, a call, a command, and a life that is to be characterized by obedience to God. That is what flows out of salvation, still through the grace of God, still through the work of God, but it continues into sanctification. Now, before we jump into and dive into this text, let's give some framework here. Paul writes this letter. It's one of the first letters that Paul is writing in the entire New Testament. So he, he wrote this before all the other letters, such as Romans and Corinthians. In fact, he's writing, scholars tell us, probably from Corinth. And we know from Corinth all the issues that, of immorality that he had to deal with that church. And he had briefly said in Thessalonica, which is a town in Greece, modern-day Greece. He has briefly stayed there to actually share the gospel in his first missionary journey. And, but however, the, the, the stay was so brief because of persecution that he wasn't sure of how deep their understanding of the believers in Thessalonica had gone. Were they strong enough to stand? Were they, in fact, he hears Timothy giving him a report of this Saints, and he's now wanting to write to them, wanting to establish and strengthen their understanding of the gospel. And remember, these are not Jewish people. These are pagan Gentiles, right? The text says, which were coming out of a lifestyle of immorality in a context around them that was extremely worldly. And now Paul has to instruct them of the implication, key implications of their faith. Yes, you placed your faith in Jesus. Praise the Lord for that. But there is a whole host of issues that we want to deal with now. And I think that this is exactly the problem of the church today. That we do not place emphasis on the walk of sanctification, of strengthening and clarifying the outworking of the belief in the gospel in a pluralistic society, in a sexually promiscuous context that surround these believers in Thessalonica. And so 
this part of the letter is obviously the, the final chapter. So Paul is now moving them to exhort them after having expounded to them the, the truth of the gospel of what Christ did on the cross. Now he's challenging the believers to live a life that is consistent to the teachings that he has outlined for them. The problem that was in Thessalonica, if you remember, is that they were so focused, for example, on waiting for the second coming. It's almost as saying, I got the train to heaven, I got the ticket, and now I'm waiting for the rapture to bring me back to heaven. That's all I need to do. And so there were a host of people in, in this church where they, they were just standing back, waiting for Jesus to come back, not working. Apparently, many of them were not even uh, working, and there was a problem of laziness and speculation over things about the second coming. But there was no emphasis on their actual walk and walking a life, a Christian life that is worthy of their calling and therefore sanctification. To abstain from all sorts of evil, to live exemplary lives, and a life committed to sanctification and holiness. So before we go on, what is sanctification? How should we describe holiness? You see, holiness and sanctification literally in the Bible means to be set apart. Set apart. Now, there's two dimensions of this. One of them is uh, that you, when you come to Jesus... When you truly embrace and he really gives you a new birth, you have been taken and transported from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So that now you are in a position that is to be set apart for God. That you are now his own. That God has brought you into a condition of being holy through what? Through Christ. Through, through all the righteousness and the holiness of Christ, you are now His. And that is the beauty of it. But I think there is another aspect of sanctification, which I think this text wants to really emphasize, that had been undermined by the believers in Thessalonica, is that there is also a progressive, continuous walking, a continuous purification of your life from the old nature that you still hold your whole sinful self that you, you now have. God has implanted that new nature, but is outworking and bringing you to become more like Jesus. That is bringing you to become more sanctified so that when people look at your life, they can see, yes, it might be not a straight line. There might be falling and maybe going back up, but there's a progression here. You are changing. That divine nature that dwells in you is producing fruits that gradually brings you into progressive conforming of our heart and our life and our behavior and our conduct. It affects everything, friends. It affects your body, your soul, your mind, your affection, your wills, your priorities. And how does that happen? Through the Word of God. The more you sit under the Word of God, the more you drink from the Word of God, the more you fellowship with God in prayer, you get transformed, you obey, you submit your own will to what the Bible tells you. That is sanctification. It's a work of God in your heart, but it's also something. So in salvation, in justification, we don't do anything. 
The Holy Spirit has to do everything in our life. It brings us out of darkness. We're dead. He gives us life. He even makes us able to believe. But now, in sanctification, God still does the major work in your heart. But we come in and we have a responsibility. And that, that kind of responsibility is what Paul wants to emphasize here. That through the Holy Spirit living now, indwelling you, he makes you daily, progressively, and never completely. That's another point. We will never get into a state of perfection in this life. I know that there are some churches that teaches that, that you can become perfect. I want you to know until glory, you will still struggle with the presence of sin. But if you're a true believer, that sin is now unwelcome guest in your home. And you're fighting against it. You hate it. You put it to death because you have a new nature. That is the true difference, friends. As Oswald Chambers once said, holiness, not happiness, is the chief end of the Christian. That no longer you're looking for your personal happiness in this world, but your, your, your chief end is to please God. I want to please God. I desire that is true conversion which flows into a life that is changed so let us now look to our text with this background and we see in our text this key thought god is urging all believers all true believers to pursue holiness in one sense but also to flee immorality you pursue holiness by fleeing everything that is immoral Anything that is contrary to purity. And as I said, there's three things that we want to see. The first thing we see is that holiness is our calling. Second thing is that holiness is our command. We are commanded actually to pursue holiness. And finally, that holiness is what we are to be characterized by. Calling, command, character of the Christian. So let's go to the calling Verse 7 and 8 of our text tells us the summary, the, the summary statement of this whole principle. Paul is laying out a principle for us. He's saying, accepting holiness is accepting God's call for your life. Verse 7. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says clearly that God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. God has called you, friend. If you're in Christ, He called you before the foundation of the world. To actually, at a point in time, come to an understanding of what it means to be saved. He has called you to death. He has called you to believe. That is, as I said, it's to intellectually say, yes, the, that Jesus Christ died for me. That yes, I embrace it. I receive it. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. You see, a lot of people can nominally say, yes, I claim those things. But the calling continues to show itself into a lifetime struggle with sin and growth in holiness. It doesn't end there. It's like a journey of pilgrim progress where pilgrim comes at the foot of the cross and the burden is released from his shoulders. End of the, the book. No. No, 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 no. The angelic voice comes to, to the pilgrim and says, 
Now you continue on your journey. Now it's just about to start. This is like a starting point and there's a lifetime still before we get to the celestial city, which is heaven. But again, this calling is given by God with authority. It's almost as if God is summoning us now that we are saved to a certain type and lifestyle that our entire life is characterized by what? Verse 7, not to impurity, uncleanness. And this refers to a state of corruption, immorality, vileness. No, God is calling us as Christians not to remain immoral, dirty-minded, and full of lust. Or a lifestyle of unkept passions with vices of all sorts shows up. No, that will contradict the claim that we are actually true believers. It is impossible. Just like it is impossible to be a true believer and be possessed by the devil. It is also impossible to be true believers and live in a continuous state of immorality. The Bible is dead clear about this. Verse uh, 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 to 10 deals with this. Do not, don't you know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. That's the key word. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterous, nor homosexual will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the text there in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6 says that deception implies that it is possible for professing Christians to be deceived on this point. To think that you can hold on to these sins and still go to heaven and still make it through. Because one time in your lifetime, 20 years ago, you made a decision. But God is a stranger into your life. And you have bought into a cheap grace understanding. And I'm afraid there's a lot of professing Christians, isn't there? Especially in the Bible Belt today. That are self-deceived on this very point. Which is the key point so that anything else that they might believe about the Bible becomes irrelevant. The Bible says you are flat wrong if you think that you can actually have those two things going together. Now, it doesn't mean that, as I said, if you're a true believer, you will never struggle with sin or you come to a state. Absolutely not. But as I say, there is a continuous aspect of dwelling in sin and loving your sin that, and, 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 and there's complete slavery to sin that is impossible, mathematically impossible for the true believer. In fact, you are proving by your lack of sanctification that you are not true Christian. Because if you're a true Christian, God will make you miserable. If you're living in sin, like God will bring you to the end of your need. And so I'm telling you this morning, if you're coming under this uh, idea of sanctification, you're hearing all this. Or you know people who live around you, who claim to be Christians and are under this deception... They need to realize that they're not true believers. They need to realize that all of their religion is just a hypocritical double standard. Well, God is calling to repent, to turn from your sins. This is not something, as a brother said this morning on a Sunday school, Rick, it's not something you do in your strength. It's not something that you do like, a, you know, I used to do in the Catholic Church, you know, penance after penance after penance. Hopefully that's going to clean me up. That's not sanctification, friends. This is the work of God's grace. You surrender you said, Lord Jesus, I cannot do this. I cannot do the first step. But Jesus died and pays for your immorality. And he's now calling you through his kindness. He's calling you to repent. He leads you to repentance. 
because you realize that only His grace can lead you to uh, sanctification. But it's not a cheap grace. While holiness is not a requirement for salvation, know for sure that when salvation comes into the heart of a true believer, it brings discipleship. It brings a life that now you're following Jesus. It brings a life when you're saying, I'm, I'm obeying, I'm following you. I want to please you, Lord. I want to repent of this sin. I want to obey. While salvation and sanctification must be kept separate, otherwise we go like the Catholics, and they put them together, they still, notice this, they still inseparably connect each other in the sense that if I am truly saved, sanctification follows. You understand? Separate, but not, but they're still in, connected. So, let's continue. So, if we're not called to immorality, according to verse 7, we are now called to uh, a dimension, a sphere of, our, of, of, of life, which is sanctification. Now, why am I stressing sanctification so much? Because five and four times in these verses, in eight verses, this term is recurrent. It means that Paul is telling you, you need to be consecrated now and dedicated to the interests of God. And where do we find these interests of God summarized in the Bible? And you obey to God in the measure that you obey to what he has told you in his will in the Bible. And it shows in a conduct of life that is matching with your words. So that you are living now pure lives, not unclean. That you pursue that cleanness, dedicating yourself to all that God requires of you. In the inside as well as in the outside. But the second thing on this calling I want, to, I want you to see is uh, summarized in verse 8. Verse 8 says that if you hear in Thessalonians, Paul is saying if, if the one who rejects us as the apostles is not rejecting men, is rejecting God himself. And so the point here is that rejecting holiness is rejecting God and his calling over your life. So, that rejection. Many times we get that word atheist from that word rejection. Which, honestly, these days is the key word. So that many people say, I don't believe in God. But what they're telling you, they know that there's a God. They just cannot obey Him. And so they have to get rid of Him. They have to get rid of His standard. They have to get rid of the Word of God that tells them that they need to, to actually adjust their life to what God requires. But Paul is saying, you're not rejecting me as an apostle. You're not rejecting men, uh, a human authority, apostles as individuals, a set of traditions. No, when you do that, you are rejecting God himself. In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was saying once, he says, if you reject God's commanding word, you, will, you cannot re receive God's gracious word. There are many people that want to get grace from God, but they don't want to realize that there's also, you know, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And what is in view here is rejection in the sense of you set aside the Bible, you set aside the God of the Bible, you stop the word of God from having any 
bear upon your life. And there's ways that we can do that. If we are not careful, we can enter into deception. So that the instruction of the Bible, the commandments of the Bible, and, and it's not just, oh, I, I become an atheist. You can still be a professing Christian like the Pharisees were professing Israelites. But, but Jesus calls to them and says, Mark 7, 9, if you reject the commandment of God so that you may keep your tradition, you're actually not obeying me. You see the, the problem there? That they had a set of traditions to actually fit the Bible with their own ideas where the Bible was contradicting their conduct and they will get away. But it says, no, that's impossible. Paul says that you are actually rejecting the very God who what? Who gives the Holy Spirit to you. That's a paradox. Now, there are several translations might say, we give this Holy Spirit to us or to you. Uh, it's more likely, according to the manuscripts, that this is talking about the Thessalonians. So that the irony here is this, that the same Holy Spirit cannot be schizophrenic here. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you and it dwells in me and I'm writing this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit and you are rejecting what I'm telling you, there's some, uh, either you don't have the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit must agree here. <laughs> you know, people can come and say, oh, I, have a little, I believe the Holy Spirit told me to do this. It's like, yeah, but he must, the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that speaks to you must agree with what the Bible says, Right? And so the same spirit that dwells, the apostle, dwells the believers in Thessalonians. He's not, he's not schizophrenic. The spirit's job is to convict us of sin. And, and the, the spirit is also grieved when we sin. So that the point here is that it can't, you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. Holiness is your inescapable call as believers. Holiness is your calling, friend. Now, I, I have many books. I hear of many books and sermons and people that come and say, oh, God's calling for your life. They're trying to help you to find God's calling. The purpose, whether it's, you know, money, success, or happiness, we, we mentioned. Others might acknowledge that God's call is actually to get saved. And they, they rightly emphasize evangelism. But then we miss the, the completely the 80% of what comes with it, as I said, which is a, a Christian living in holiness and sanctification, which should be your mission. Your mission is to please God from now on, friend. Your mission is to sin no more. That no matter how deep your sin is, you say, the Lord tells you, go and sin no more and just live a life changed, transformed. And that is the, the goal, friend, the goal is here not, I'm going to clean my life. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop uh, committing this sin. No, the goal is to be like Christ. So that Christ become your pattern. And I'm afraid that many in North America today make sounds Christianity as, as if God calls them to stay as exactly as they are. Unchanged, unsanctified, unconcerned with obedience and that's why i emphasize holiness is not only your call but it's a your inescapable call there's no other way and if you're here this morning and you say okay i don't buy this i don't believe you preacher or oh, you know people who may tell you that you know 
Or maybe you may say, you know, God, your requirements for my life are too high. I just can't do that. They're too irrealistic. Or maybe you say, oh, I'll be safe even if I continue to walk in a certain way because God has forgiven me so that we may sin all the more. And, and Paul says, no, no. And that's the problem. The, the problem here at the root is that many in, 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 in many churches have, re, have bought an unrealistic view of Jesus. A Jesus who's perfectly fine with them and that he has no requirements over their life. He's okay with your sin. And even, you know, I mean, I have a friend who tells me that there's many Southern Baptist churches where right now, and we're going to dive into this, there are people who just can continue to live and, and there's no church discipline. There's no action where it's like, no, we have to actually say what the Bible says and that's wrong. But because they're trying to, to please the people, then they, they fail to act but these commandments, friends, are not some sort of tradition, some sort of strict Baptist view. No, they come from the triune God himself who tells us that this is not a matter open to interpretation. We want to obey him. Paul, uh, Jesus says in Luke 10, 16, He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, Jesus, rejects the Father who sent me. See the connection there? So that... The tricky aspect is sometimes some Christians might say, you know, I, I obey God, but, and they are not rejecting outright God, but they're still refusing to deal with certain commands from Scripture. They're trying to put the volume down, and we don't want to do that. We don't want to reject the command of the Word of God. We want to be faithful in everything it tells us. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord, says uh, Hebrews. And now let's go to the second point. Not only this is our calling, but this is also what we are commanded to do. Verses 1, 2, 3. Verse 1 starts as uh, Paul is actually finishing the letter. and says, we urge you, we exhort you, which means God wants us to please him as Christians. Oh, brothers. He's talking with believers. He's a friendly exhortation to believers. He's saying, on the basis of Jesus, the Lord Jesus... On the basis of that union you have with Jesus, it's like if I have a union with my wife, I mean, that impacts everything. And the same way you, church, are united to Jesus, and that impacts everything, your entire life. And Paul says, as you learn from us how you ought to walk to please God. It is when we understand R.C. Sproul says that when we understand the character of God, when we grasp something of His holiness, then we begin to understand the radical character of our sin and hopelessness and our need to conform ourselves to His standard, not through our efforts, but through the grace of God working in our life. But this is not an option. This is a necessity. We are pleading with you, Paul is pleading with the saints to walk He's saying, you already are doing it. This is the encouragement. But he's saying, do all the more. Early in chapter, in verse 9, Paul had given the same encouraging challenge. You love, you're doing good as a congregation to love. But you can still increase. There's still some room for growth almost, as Paul is saying here. 
And so Paul urges us to live more and more to the ideal of the, of the sanctification of holiness. There's still room for growth. See, we're not going to ever graduate until we are in heaven. There's still greater levels of this. And this makes me think of a, a scene of a movie. There's this uh, Christian movie, Courageous, where there's this uh, team of football players and and it has come to the bottom. They don't know what to do. And, and the, the coach has to encourage the, the people. But the, 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 the strongest players, like, we're not going to win this. We're, we're just... And so uh, the coach takes him, put a man on his shoulders, and, and urges him, blindfolded, to, to keep running, keep running. He couldn't see. And at the end of, of the exhortation, he's at the end of the field. And he looks around. He's like, I walked that much. I didn't know that. And that's a, a similar image of this... Growth of sanctification as is almost like, you, you know, those escalators. You run through them and they're dragging you up. But through the Holy Spirit living in you, God is telling you, push, push. There's still more room to growth. There's still more to climb in coming to be holy. And how do we please God as Christians? That's how we please God. By repenting of our sins, by gradually coming to holiness. Verse 2, y'all. Oh, if there was a southern translation, it would be this. Verse 2, for you all know what instruction we gave to you from the Lord Jesus. That's something that Paul and he had already told them through marching orders of how Christians should live. Verse 3, the first part. The will of God for you is this. What? It's summarizing this. You want to know what the will of God is? It's not, you know... Oh, uh, you know, should I do this? Should I marry this? Should I? Your will, the will of God is summarized in sanctification. Anything that leads you to holiness, which is the process in every believer, as the result of you being set apart to God, now you are dedicated to the interests of God. You are consecrated. You are separated. And your life will show in the pursuit of holiness, purity. That's what you're called to. That holiness is the God, is God's continuous demand on you as a believer. This is your call. Sanctification. Notice how, according to the words of our text, this is something that happens continuously. It's not something that you can, okay, uh, it's like many of us maybe are used to going to work and there's a specific task and you know what to do and that's done and then you go back home. No, this is something continuous. This is something that is, it never ends. It's like you never graduate. You never actually stop. You know, it's like I, as long as I get the trick, I am done. No, God opens the window to a whole host of areas in your life where you're like, I still need to grow there. And it's a good thing. Don't get discouraged. Let's first give credit where credit is due. And I want to just congratulate this congregation right here. That to be honest with you, I could say the same words that Paul says here. There's an encouragement of conversions. There's an encouragement of pro progress in the Christian faith, despite the challenges. And Paul can comes and says, you know, I think you're doing good in this area. And he's not actually chastising them. He is actually saying, praise God. Praise God for, for your faithfulness in this area, brother or sister. Praise God that you have been able to put the dead sin in this area. I just want you to know you can push more. There's further progress. We can keep. And that's, that's the role of Paul here. From congratulation, he goes to exhortation. Because the risk is like, for many of us, like, 
we can get to a level where we're like, you know, I'm no longer the outright, outrageous sinner that I used to be. I think I'm, I, I, I'm doing pretty good. It's like Paul is trying to tell you, you can give more. And I'm telling you, you will be surprised at what can, God can do with one man who comes under the influence of God and says, Lord Jesus, I want to I wanna give everything. I want to I be obedient more. I want to be obedient in the small things as, as well as the big. Please show me, O oh Lord, where I lack. Please help me to grow in these areas. And what, how beautiful when a church, imagine a church is like not just an individual Christian, but a, a church becomes so thirsty for more righteousness, for more push and sanctification, all the way that you overflow, that you're like people come and visit. It's like, where am I? It's like we, 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 we've, we've got it into something and it's never meant to push them to say, oh, like we're better than them. No, it's meant to actually lead us all closer to the heart of God. What a weapon will it be when a holy church set apart in the hand of God to do the purposes God wants us to do. It goes as far as suggesting that the essence of sanctification happens when, when we put all of our efforts together so that I look at a brother or sister and, 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 you know, I'm sharpened to actually become more and more walking in holiness continuously together. And we make a, a commitment that is not like five, Lord, I'm going to give you this much and not more. Lord, I'm going to do this until this moment in time and not, it's like forever. It's your life. And as I said, it's something progressive. It's like an economic chart where sometimes you will have seasons of, of setbacks. But I want you to encourage you. If the, we have the trend, that is what Paul wants us to see. It doesn't mean that we'll never stumble. It doesn't mean when we see a brother or sister that stumbles in a sin, we're like, oh, okay. it's like, no, we, helped, we help one another to like a, a child through the help of God. It's like, imagine your children. He's like, he wants to drag something out of the room. And you come and do the 80% of the work and he's like doing a little bit. That's what we are in the hands of God. We rely on God. It's like, Lord, I can't move this out of my life. I can't repent of this. I need you. And, and, and you both come together out of that. You still, however, have responsibility, friends. And it never ends until we die. So individuals... Churches should reflect the awareness that there's always room for improvement. I mean, that goes for any areas of life, right? Let's think about a job that you're doing. You want to imp improve. You want to display the same dedication that you have in your job in the areas of sin in your life. And you're like, I can't actually grasp this task. Let's say you begin a new job and you're like, you're panicking. You're like, well, then you, you're going to do dedication. You're just going to. Get at it. Okay, I'm going to fail right now, but I'm going to keep at it. Well, God is asking you to do the same thing when it comes to sanctification. So that if you want to receive the final commendation from heaven, when he comes back, continue to improve. I know it's demanding. What I'm telling you is demanding. God's will for you is not just that you get your ticket to heaven, stand here and wait for the train to heaven. No, you continue to submit to God's will in his word and you realize that the gospel is indeed central to all this, but it's not meant to be an end in itself so that you get, you know, salvation from hell. <laughs> it's like it changes your entire life. We renounce to the world and we take off 
the old clothes of the old man. We offer ourselves to God as a pleasing sacrifice. That's what God wants from all of us. Instead of understanding what God's will for your life in terms of this or that, you should begin the groundwork of how does this thing fits the call to pursue holiness. And then that may change the way you're looking at the issue. The assumption, friends, is that we already know what we are supposed to do. And then out of that, everything falls. And now briefly on the third point, holiness and sanctification is what we should be characterized by. Verses 3, second part of verse 3, all the way to verse 3, verse 6. And this is a practical outworking of holiness. Now, it's not meant to be the summary of holiness. There's so many areas in our life where holiness has to be shown. But it seems that Paul wanted to tell the Thessalonians... Maybe because of the context of worldliness that was surrounding that town. It was really blatant paganism, homosexuality, rampant adultery, and all sorts of things. So he has to push it in terms of immorality. And I think there's something to it. Like in the society that we're, we're going to head to, from the billboard to driving the car, from a, Christ, from a radio that you put on, from uh, seeing people. It's like there's so, and like even technology. It's like, this is an issue that is relevant for us. That the way in which holiness our works is start with dealing with immorality. Now, it doesn't end there. And there's many other things that we could see from the New Testament. But we're just going to briefly mention this one. The danger of immorality, and particularly sexual immorality. Paul starts in verse 3, a series of commands to show us. God's will, sanctification. Here we go to some example. Here is how it works in this area. Particularly in how we possess our own body. To abstain from sexual immorality. Now this, this can summarize any sexual sin. Any. Particularly adultery. But I would say any form of unlawful sexual activity. Outside of God's boundary within the marriage that God has established. The marriage bed is to be kept pure, we know from the New Testament, and we are to abstain, to get away, to keep it away, especially in the church. Anything disgraceful, such as in the case of the Thessalonians, might have been even prostitution. It was really widespread back then, adultery, but it entails more, friends, some, in fact, says, okay, well, I never cheated on my wife, so I'm, I'm pretty sanctified here. No, I'm telling you. Jesus Christ says, if you look to a woman with lust, you have already committed adultery with her with your heart. Which means, in just in case we come to the, the religious character, who, like the Pharisees were saying, you know, I'm, I'm not an outright immoral like those pagans. It's like, it goes, it goes deeper. It goes to the heart. We need to get that sanctified first, and then everything will be sanctified. A desire, in fact, I'm telling you, this is an issue that I want to say, even among some of our circles in, in these days, even the Southern Baptists, uh, there's, it's becoming popular to, to, to say, you know, as long as I don't act on this desire, I'm doing good. No, Jesus, as I said, says, you desire, you are already committing the, the, the sin. Not so fast. J.C. Ryle was a famous theologian of the past, he says, let us never measure our religion by the, that of others and think that we are doing enough if we had gone beyond our neighbors. 
You must compare to the standard which is Jesus Christ. That is the standard of your sanctification. And the point is that sinful desires left unchecked, friend, they open a spiral of sin that you might say, you know, I'm not, you know, not there yet. I, I, I'm going to play with it. I'm going to flirt with it. It's going to drag you down. It's going to lead you to destruction. And it starts with the desire. There's a battle for the control that starts in your mind, friends. And that nothing more true than in this day and age with pornography, with all sort of like, even if you watch a movie, there's certain scenes. It's like, what are we exposed constantly that we have to really guard ourselves? Talk about homosexuality. And it's interesting that back in Thessalonians, there was a connection with idolatry. Which means a false idea of God, about God then leads you to a path of justification of sin. And that was true back then. It's true today. Now, notice what I said. This is not a list, comprehensive list of what it means to be sanctified. It's, uh, there's so many passages that we can harmonize from the New Testament. Uh, we saw last time the sin of the tongue. If you were here last November, I spoke about the sin of the tongue. That's a, an area where sanctification shows itself out. Greed, the way we, we are so into the love of money, that's, that's an area. Sloth, anger, envy, pride. There's so many areas where this is true. But we have to abstain. We have to battle. We have to be good steward. Uh, and even like to the area of the way we deal with, with, uh, uh, with persecution, Loving our enemies, doing good, actual positive ways in which we actually work this principle of sanctification. But verse 4 tells us, continuing on this particular example of immorality, that we must have self-control. Self-control in the area of immorality, and which means no sex before marriage. He means also you know, abuses with marriage must be avoided because, you know, uh, the woman is always portrayed as a weaker vessel. And so that particular attention, but it's also the way in which we approach technology, the way in which we approach anything that is dishonorable, we do like Job and we say, I will not set it before my eyes. I make a covenant with my eyes. That is what, what here is referred to. And, uh, and the fruit of this is also, it's in Second Timothy 2, verse 21, it says, the only way we are useful in our Christian life is if those things are taken away. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, and in that case, Timothy was talking about departing from iniquity. Everyone who names the name of Christ, let him depart from iniquity of any kind, so that he will be a vessel not of dishonor, but for honorable use. And that helps us to actually see the benefits of repentance, that if it will actually lead us to serve, serving God out of a, of a heart that is pure. Then you will become a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for, for the master, Jesus, prepared for every good work. See that? So the believer is called to sanctification. Once again, the word comes. And to be seeking honor, verse 5, flee lustful passions. Which means following the boundaries that since the uh, garden of uh, e Adam and Eve, God has said, you know, you don't eat that fruit. And whether you like it or not, you're just like, Lord, I submit to you. And I want to live in holiness before you. So that we do not, as a church, live as the world, the pagans, the Gentiles, 
who are behaving in that way because they do not know God. There, there should be a, a remarkable difference between the two. Not out of self-righteousness, but out of true holiness, which comes from God. Because again, there's the threat. Verse 6 gives us a threat to those who are immoral. That no one take advantage or defraud his brother in this matter, which I feel like is continuing the matter of sexual immorality. Because here's the threat. The Lord is an avenger of anyone who do those things. Which means Hebrews 13 verse 4 says, as a, another threat, there he was talking about marriage being held in honor by all, for God will judge sexually immoral people and adulterers. This is serious business. So let us really be realizing that holiness starts with heeding the warning of controlling over all our sexuality as believers. And now we can expand it, not just in the matter of sexuality, but this is the one that the Holy Spirit wanted to see as the starting point of sanctification. Now, we should not be, first of all, ashamed to deal with those matters. I know that some traditions somehow like, you know, and even that reflects in the way you raise your children. You almost avoid the topic until then they, they struggle and they come into view in the world and they are unequipped to deal. So we should be open to, to talk about these issues and to actually give the biblical understanding of how should we live. And there's a beauty actually. There's something God has created, but within its boundaries. And whenever it goes away of the boundary of marriage, it is destructive. It is, it is not a blessing. It turns to be a curse. And I want you to realize that, again, this is the starting point to sanctification, according to this text. So that if control in this area is not happening, then we haven't even climbed the, the step one of what sanctification means. So that we can try our best to, to, you know, to work in these areas, but it's like God is calling us to our attention. And I know that in this day and age, this is particularly troublesome, as I said, with internet, with the TV, on the streets. All desires of the world allures us, but there is a higher standard for us as believers. Any, any immorality that goes away from the standard of God, we must battle it. We must kill it. And I know that even your church in the past has gone through an event of this sort with a person who wanted to essentially climb the pulpit or be in leadership and you had to take action because things were starting and we're not where they should be in this area. And I want to congratulate you for, for having acted when you need it because that's what a church is supposed to do. I have a friend who is from Georgia and his church, Southern Baptist church. And they had like people, you know, nowadays sex before marriage is actually the norm and they will accept them into membership without any blinking of eyes, if it's something okay. And I want you to know when a church doesn't do those boundaries, and this is not some legalism. This is not, this is, we want to be faithful to the Bible because the, 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 it threatens the nature of the church when we don't take action toward this type of sin, especially in leadership. And so faithfulness starts in this area. And I know with pornography, homosexuality, Sex before marriage. You know, this is this this what what was assumed 20, 30 years ago as as 
you know, I don't even need to deal with this, these issues. You have to realize that times have changed. And it requires for us as Christians to really be intentional, whether it's in raising our children, whether it's in dealing with people around us, whether it's in realizing even uh, of our, our own walk with the Lord, that, uh, you know, these things are absolutely necessary. I mean, I hear of sermons nowadays where you just say, oh, God loves you. It doesn't matter, you know, what you do. It's like that's exactly the type of thing that will damn people to hell. When we are unwilling to deal with those issues, I'm not going to talk there. That's unpopular. Uh, uh, people are not going to like me. And it's like, no. Holiness, friends, is actually the way in which you really love your neighbor. The true love, these days love is understood as something as it means that, well, then I contradict truth and I'm not going to deal with that. No, true love, look at sin, it addresses it. And, it, and when one, one is under sin and entangles it, we, for the good of that very person, especially if there is a covenant of marriage that you have made, and that what happened when you enter into marriage, you're becoming one flesh. And you want to honor that. You want to respect that. And you know that this is the first calling, husbands, wives, that you have clinged to one woman or one man, and this is it. You become blind to anything else in this world. And you do the extra step. And sometimes may appear legalistic, but you do the extra step to protect that. And your spouse will honor that. And will say, you know, my husband, my wife, I can, I, I can trust them because of what they're and that this impacts the church life, family. Imagine, whenever we go into that step of adultery, which the world tells you, just get some pleasure. This is going to give you happiness. Friend, I want to... I have a, a pastor there in Washington, D.C. who wrote a book on purity in heart. And he, he says, imagine the conversation. Before you even start to if we navigate with the thoughts, imagine you going to your wife and having it to explain. Imagine the impact on your children. Imagine the destruction of generations that will come out of that sin. So that sin comes to you and it's like, it's so beautiful, so nice, and it's going to be just one act. Just get... And it doesn't tell you, the, the, the deception doesn't tell you what lies ahead. The ruin, the destruction, the hopelessness of sin. And that actually leads you to repent right now, to say, Lord, I'm going to cut it. I'm going to cut it. I'm going to take it off my life. You picture that scenario before your eyes. And then God will bless you when you're faithful. Like Joseph is like, why would Joseph was able to stand? Because he had God in his mind. It's like Potiphar's wife was coming to him and he's like, how can I do this thing against God and sin against God who sees everything, who knows everything. And I want to please him even to the price of great punishment from men who bring him to jail. He says, I'm not going to do that. And God blesses our obedience. And it doesn't mean that outwardly it's going to be easy. Because this world will target you, friend. If you stand for biblical principles, they will go after you. But it is, uh, it is in the spirit. And it, it is a life where, you know, I walk in obedience with God. And that's the fruit of sanctification. So to conclude, friends, I don't want to go further. But it, we are called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. To flee. To run away from any sort of immorality. That you not only sin against others but you, and against God, but you sin against your body. And, it, and everything must be brought under instead control of God's will in His Word. And as we saw today, remember, if you're truly born again, 
it will show in, in a life that is new life. That's why even as Christians, we are called to see sin for what it is. We're called to see that sin, even in the walk of believer, if we don't repent, it can really hinder our, our, our walk. It can bring us to actually damage our assurance of faith. Even our exercise of faith can be damaged. And how, how awareness of grace can be hinders. That's why we need to repent daily out of, out of love for God. I know you may say at this point, how do I do that? Preacher, I tried over and over again in this area or that area. Perhaps there needs to be accountability with others, especially in the church. We can start process where like, if I'm struggling with something, I need somebody else to help me to navigate. And that's where God establishes people and, you know, mature believers who can help you walk through that challenge. We're not going to just there as like, you know, to judge you, but they're going to help you like to overcome, to actually put to death, but also not feeding those sins and also drastically remove sources of temptation in your life that you have allowed to go unchecked. Because I'm telling you, Sometimes it goes through very little, little steps that gradually will lead you into sin. And I want to end once again with ways, a brief list here of ways in which we have to be careful with this. That there is a way in which we can have a grace that is cheapened when we don't emphasize repentance. Faith and repentance must go together. Both in the way you present the gospel to people, but also in the way you live your Christian life. God's love is unconditional, many says. But we don't clarify that if you love, you will keep my commandments. We can present heaven as a place without rewards or the judgment. It's done because I'm a believer without realizing that there will be vessels of noble use and vessels of not so noble use. And that should motivate us to then obey in this life in light of an eternal reward. We present God's beautiful and, and, and gospel, and that's beautiful, yes, but there's also a radical call to discipleship, friends, so that the two go together. That if you do not give up all things for me, you cannot be my disciple. And that is as true as the grace of God that comes to you and saving to you. But there's a narrow gate, there's a narrow road, and it's not passive. Sometimes we present, there's another point. Our Christian walk is something passive. God is going to do. Let go and let God. You may have heard that. That's wrong. It's now time for us to act. Our actual responsibility in our life. And we can boil it down to this, friends. Holiness is what God calls us to. Holiness is what God wants you to do. And so may you live a life that is characterized by it. Let us pray. Oh, God three times holy God that is too beautiful and too wonderful and too pure to even be looked at by angels let alone by sinful men and women like us who do not deserve you and yet in your kindness in your grace you have brought us near through the blood of the lamb who has given us salvation and I do pray this morning Lord if anyone among us this morning has lived with an intellectual ascent to those truths 
and says, yes, I'm a Christian, but as this outworking of salvation, this evidence of a true regeneration, born again, that walks, obey, and follows, is not there. That you will turn them, not to themselves, not to despair, not to say, well, I give up, or the standard is too high, but they will turn them in truth to the cross and say, Lord, this time I'm not hiding it. This time I'm confessing it. This time I'm laying all my sin before you and pray, Lord, remove me. Make me into a new man. Grant me the desire to obey you. And that, Lord, I do pray for all of us as church that we walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Lord, that, yes, we, we, we can receive your commendation in the areas that we are doing well, Lord. I thank you for the saints here as theater, Lord, that in the ways in which they prove and demonstrate, Lord, that they have love for you. They have love for each other. That they have, Lord, resisted temptations. They have endured. But, Lord, there's still room to, for growth. That you will grant us to, to have that approach to our life. That we will realize, Lord, that we can walk even deeper into your purity. And that, Lord, that we will be walking in this way until we get to your glorious place in heaven. Where there will be no more sin. That, Lord, we will be pure and walking in the streets of gold. And before us, there will be the perfection of beauty in the Lamb. And we will worship Him forever. And it is His name that we pray.